VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Wednesday, September the 28th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and David Williams. He's the gentleman producing the program. You'll be speaking with David when you give us a call to get in the queue. So if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211. Or elsewhere, it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 86. 26. Well, as you heard Brian Medor in the VOCM newscast say, the Jays lost last night to the Yankees. No action for Aaron Judge. They, they walked him every single time. But it's a great time for sports fans. You know, you got the baseball season coming to its climax. Looks like the Jays should clinch a wild card berth. The NFL, albeit off to a really boring, low-scoring start for a lot of football fans around. And, you know, preseason hockey, which is exciting for folks like me, eyeballing the new teams for our upcoming hockey pool drafts, which is one of the best times of the year for hockey fans. I think you're seeing some excitement surrounding Canada's women's basketball team too. They're playing in the World Cup down in Sydney. They were in a really tough group with the second, third, and fourth place finishers at the most recent Olympic Games. But they riddled off a bunch of wins, finished four and one. They're one win away from competing for a medal. So they pay 17th ranked Puerto Rico in the quarterfinals. That happens tomorrow. Beat Puerto Rico, have to face the States, but get a chance to play for medals. So that's pretty good stuff from Canada's women's basketball team. And I think you're seeing some people get excited for the upcoming Men's World Cup of Soccer. You know, for the first time since 1986, Canada has qualified, as you know, and the World Cup will take place in Qatar, or Qatar, depending on how you pronounce it. And we've got a real shot at making some noise at the World Cup. Now, we're in a pretty tough group. They open up against Belgium. Belgium are world beaters. They're long one of the predominant teams in the world of soccer. Then they get Croatia. Croatia's been a bit of an old team, although give me a bit of Modric all day long. And then they play Morocco. A legit chance to beat Morocco. But remember, it's not only to see if we can't get a win, and people talk about advancing out of the group stage, which we'll see, but we've never even scored a goal at the World Cup. So let's see if the boys can do something this go around all right uh oh local sports note blair bursey professional golfer from gander he had a top five last week in his professional golf event he's now down in ohio a sandridge golf trying to qualify for the corn ferry tour the corn ferry tour is the tour just below the pga tour so a real place for aspiring professionals to hone their game to take it up to the big tour at the pga so he's uh top He's, pardon me, tied for 29th after day one. So good luck to Blair. That's the real goal. Get on that tour and see what happens. All right, a couple other interesting notes. You know that we talk about space every now and then here on the program, which I don't know much about, but I'm fascinated by. And I remember this program, and I watched all 13 episodes. It was 42 years ago today that Carl Sagan brought us Cosmos, A Personal Voyage, debuted on American television. It was the most viewed program until it was ousted a decade later by Ken Burns' brilliant documentary, The Civil War. So in Cosmos, they talked about all kinds of things. The origin of life, the birth and the death of stars, the solar system's place in the galaxy. It won a couple of Emmys, won a Peabody Award, it has been seen in 60 different countries, or have been broadcasted in 60 different countries, has been viewed 500 million times. Cosmos, a personal voyage. And it was today, uh, 81 years ago, that Ted Williams was the last person to bat over 400 in the major leagues. So he batted 406 that year. 
there's been a few players have had a run at it in years since that, but that's. Uh, it's not since 1941 that someone's hit 400 in Major League Baseball. That's not the top average of all time, though, for a single regular season. Napla Joy, 1901, hit 426. Then some other names that you'll recognize, Roger Hornsby, Ty Cobb, Shoeless Joe Jackson. But Ted Williams, that 406 is good for eighth all time. In recent memory, a couple of players have had a bit of a run at it. Tony Gwynn, back in 1994, playing for San Diego. He ended up hitting 394. And I remember the George Brett run back in 1980, where he ended up uh, finished the season batting 390, but Ted Williams, some great nicknames associated with Ted Williams. Teddy Ball Game, right? The Kid. Ted Williams has been here in St. John's. There's a couple of great pictures of him down at St. Pat's Ballpark, as a matter of fact. So he was the thumper, the splendid splinter, and some people simply refer to him as the greatest hitter who ever lived. Okay, sometimes things are about a bit of uh, perspective, isn't it? So I'm coming to work this morning. And I have a very specific routine. I like to be at a certain stage of my travels by a certain time in the morning. I think many people are like that, right? When you get into a routine, when it gets interrupted, it kind of throws you off sometimes. So this morning, I'm going onto the Outer Ring Road, and then all of a sudden, I see all the taillights. Uh-oh, we're backed up. So what's the first reaction that you have, right? Probably frustration. So for a minute there, I was like, oh, man. So there goes my morning routine. Oh, my. And I'm sitting here on the parking lot on the Outer Ring Road. But then perspective changes. When we got a little closer to the reason why the traffic was stalled, a really serious single vehicle rollover. Well, there was only one vehicle there when I passed it. And this blue sedan was demolished. And it absolutely and obviously rolled over several times. So we hope that the people in the car are okay. But isn't it, you know, that's quite something. In the span of five, ten minutes, I went from, ah, frustration to, ooh, man. Now I understand why it's slow and why the worry is really for the occupants of the vehicle. But hopefully they're okay. Many of you listen to the program may indeed be snowbirds and have property in Florida, have many friends in Florida. I have lots of uh, friends or family acquaintances who have places in Florida and a bunch of friends. You know, we see what uh, Fiona brought to bear, but it looks like Hurricane Ian is going to make landfall as a Category 4. Millions of people are being evacuated. So if you have property or friends in FLA, hopefully they can weather this particular what looks to be a wicked storm. And, of course, let's talk Fiona. Some, I mean, people have been sending me stories and, of course, lots of pictures and videos, and it's heart-wrenching. You know, there's a couple out there that are a bit lighthearted, like this one elderly gentleman. He lo- not only lost his home, but he lost his teeth. <laughs> so we hope he finds his teeth. You know, it's been encouraging to see people, as they always do, step up to the plate with the donations. We're told now by the Lions Club and the Mayor Button from Port of Basque that they're at a bit of a saturation point with uh, some of the donations that are coming in the door. They'll continue to update us on some very specific needs. You know, toiletries being one notable one that was part of the list that I last saw yesterday. So bravo if you were able to give, and many people were doing exactly that. And the cash donations are starting to roll in. The Canadian Red Cross might be an option that you could consider, considering the fact that the federal government will match all of those funds. But a couple of things about, you know, it's, we're going to have to focus in on money and humans and what they've lost and the anxiety felt in the region. But it's time to get the support flowing for the government. Okay, it's great that some 100 members of the Canadian Armed Forces Reserves have made their way to the southwest coast. That's good stuff. But the checks are already flowing in Nova Scotia and PEI. There is an update coming at 10 a.m. this morning that we're going to carry live here on VOCM. It's an announcement regarding an approximately $30 million relief package. 
okay, that's good, but let's let's get it going because time is of the essence for folks who are displaced and who are absolutely hurting. The prime minister is in town. Of course, that will bring on the obvious remarks of photo op or if he didn't show up, he doesn't care about us, but he's there. And what we, we can make of that, I'll leave that up to you and your own opinion. Here's what is going to be a frustrating thing for many, many people. Now, we know there's been folks like Judy Morrow who are offering free legal services to help folks navigate the insurance claim procedures. But it looks like many people are going to find out that the damage they suffered because of the storm surge is not covered. You know, it is galling. Look, I understand it. I've got buddies who are in the insurance business. But it sometimes feels quite galling when you're paying insurance and unable to get the coverage. What People think that they're paying for this type of replacement insurance for their home or their vehicle or whatever the case may be. But some of these quote-unquote acts of God don't result in compensation. So... They say that they're working towards ways to price this type of coverage and to offer this type of coverage. They factor in the complexities associated with climate change and coastal erosion and the rising sea levels and everything that goes with these massive storm surges. So looks like people are going to find out the hard way that they maybe just don't have any coverage. And I know there's been some keen focus on Port of Basque, but we see you in the other communities, and we know that you've lost a lot, whether it be Burnt Islands or Rose Blanche or Harbour Le Coup or Burgio or La Poil or what have you. So, yes, please, keep the stories coming from the various parts of the province that were pummeled by Fiona, and to see people sifting through the rubble to try to salvage whatever they can is heart-wrenching it really truly is but if you want to talk about what you're seeing or of course as you've heard me say every day this week there are still other issues of import that we can and talk about and we should so don't feel like you can't call about anything other than fiona because so many people are consumed with it because there are other things happening and we're happy to have those conversations with you on any front so all the schools in the region remain closed for the rest of this week. So anyway, we'll see what we can do to give people back to some sense of normalcy. And it's going to take a while. It really, truly is. Okay. This story, every time I hear these stories, it gives me a bit of a fright. So and I heard Brian talk about it in the news as well, is that a young girl, a 13-year-old, was grabbed by a stranger in Lourdes, and once again on the southwest coast. So he made some sort of remark about her appearance, a sexual remark, which is creepy enough. Then he grabbed her, she kicked him, and ran away. You know, it just goes back down that path of how we talk to our children about what's actually going on out in the world, all the while trying not to just plant all these fears in their mind, but just to give them the alarm bells and the, some advice as to how to handle yourself in certain situations, because we can't be there 24-7. And you want them to feel independent. You want to be able to walk over their buddies or ride their bike to their pal's house. But those stories really... They get to me. And on that front, I think this is a really positive move, albeit because of some serious matters, is Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador has now launched a sexual violence prevention program. And many people will say, well, it's simply because of the horror stories we've heard coming from Hockey Canada, but it's been long overdue. The stats are pretty clear. So the coaches and anyone involved with the teams from under 15 and under 18 AAA female and junior teams, they're going to have to take this mandatory training. Good idea. So good on Dr. Jared Butler and other, others who are behind this. Here are some of the stats, and these are quoted by Mr. B- Dr. Butler. Somewhere between 2 to 8% of minor athletes experience sexual violence. I mean, you know, we sign them up for organized sports to learn some life skills, to develop their athletic prowess, to have a bit of fun, to be part of a team. But that's the reality. 
is somewhere between 2 and 8% minor athletes experience sexual violence. When you get into the university level, the numbers reflect as many as a quarter of athletes face some form of sexual violence. So good on Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador to put it in place. And like even anyone who gets involved with hockey these days, like even me as a member of the board of directors, I've got to do a background check, a vulnerable sector check. It's free and it's simple, it's easy, but we all have to do it. And it just hopefully will provide a safe environment and the thought of a safe environment for all the young athletes who are participating, in this case, in minor hockey. Okay, and I know folks are rattled. Like I heard Brian Callahan this morning covering the courts for us here at VOCM News saying he's having a hard time keeping it all straight with just how many cases are in the courts regarding shootings. So we've, we all know the examples of them. And the CBS shooter faced an additional six charges yesterday. There's another fellow appearing because of the shootings that happened a couple of weeks ago. The background of all this, like we don't know. Some of it's probably motivated by drugs. Some of it could be personal grudges and revenge sought by the shooter. I don't know. It'd be nice to have a better understanding because we're told the shootings were targeted as opposed to random, which was the case with the home invasions. But someone also planted this seed in my head. You know, it's one thing for law enforcement to be out there uh, to try to control the numbers of guns that are in the province. And, of course, we know a lot of the handguns that get used in crime are imported from the United States, which should be the keen focus for the uh, federal government. You know, we can talk about the gun buyback programs, what have you, and the ridiculous stuff going on in Alberta with the refusal to abide by. But anyway, it's the guns that people are able to print in their own home. I mean, that is something that, you know, how does anybody get out in front of that? You can, if you have the resources, buy one of these 3D printers and simply print a gun. Man, oh man. All right, what do I got here? Oh, and if people want to talk about the border restrictions that will be lifted, at least for now, at the uh, border. So Arrive Can app is uh, now going to be optional. No masking on planes and trains, no random testing, no forced or requested or recommended uh, quarantine regardless of your vaccination status. So we can take it on, but I'm asking this one. If you have traveled recently, even if it's just domestically, we know the issues with the chaos at, for instance, Toronto's Pearson, but has that eased? I mean, have they been able to staff up at the CBSA to deal with some of these things, to make it a little bit more manageable to travel? So if you have, give us your personal experience. And as well, an emailer, a listener sent one yesterday saying they were on a flight where this lady just took the perfume out of her purse and let the Chanel number no. five fly. You know, we have so many scent-free places like public buildings or what have you. They, they know even this building, scent-free building. So you wonder, could it or should it be that way on an aircraft? It's a fair question to ask. Apparently, someone who has real sensitivity to the scent, scents, uh, needed emergency medical treatment on board the aircraft. So that's something we can probably avoid. And one last one. For those of you who like to enjoy a hefty broadsheet newspaper on the weekend, I get the Telegram. I read the Telegram most every day, certainly on Saturdays for the weekend edition. But if those of you who missed the days of the Globe and Mail, you're going to be able to buy one here. Remember when they stopped even sending the Globe and Mail to Newfoundland and Labrador? I mean, what's going on here? But now, coming up uh, shortly, down at Kane's Grocery on Duckworth Street in the city of St. John's, they're going to start carrying the Saturday Globe. And actually, it's going to be this week. So this Saturday, if you're so inclined to get the Globe, you go down to Kane's, maybe grab a bite too. Good shop. Pops, good fella. All right, we're on Twitter or VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. My favorite is when you join us live on the air, so do exactly that during this break. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's begin on line number one. Uh, good morning, Rob. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there this morning. How about you? 
Not bad, not bad. Good. I just um, just want to talk not about the uh, the disaster out in the in Port of Basque and everything like that. But uh, I was out in Fort McMurray and I lost everything out there in the fire. And uh, it's it's going to be a long process for everybody. Um, you know, I, I live out in CBS and we had the fire out there in Long Pond, and it brought back a a ton of memories. And uh, you know, I just I just want to I, I feel for everybody, and just just to let everybody know it's 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 a long process. It is going to take a long time, and, you know, it's an important point you're making, and we've kind of broached this a couple of times here on the show, is it'll take time to put all the bricks and mortar back in place, to rebuild homes and sheds and stages and all the rest of it. But it's going to be some of the trauma that takes a long time to overcome. It really will. Look, I cannot imagine uh, one day I have a home and the next day it's gone. I can't understand how people can even cope with it. But we're trying to do what we can to put supports in place where to make the coping just that much easier. So the fire is years ago now. But I imagine, like you say, you see a fire close by where you live now in CBS and it doesn't take much for all those really terrible memories to flood back in. Oh, it does. It's it's it's. It's a horrible sensation, and uh, like I said, it's 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 not going to be easy. I feel for everybody. I know what it's like going through it, and uh, just say stay strong. Is the fire and the fact you lost everything was that the catalyst to see you move home, or what happened? Um, no, actually, the catalyst to move home was uh, my uh, mother-in-law was uh, diagnosed with cancer. And rest her soul now, but uh, no, we tried to rebuild, and uh, just the way the government handled everything was um, not appropriate. How so? Um, because they didn't they didn't cover they didn't help really. The government didn't help. The government didn't uh, match the Red Cross out there. Um, you know, and so the government, it's, it remains to be seen how quick things are going to flow. Governments are notorious for moving very slowly. So whether people have an opinion on, you know, the presence of the premier and the prime minister out there today, I don't know. I'll leave that up to individuals. But yeah. the money's already flowing in Nova Scotia and PEI. You know, it's been great that uh, individuals and businesses have very quickly responded to the need with donations of all types of, of goods and bottled water and baby formula and some money, of course. But the province and the feds, they've got to get their act together here right away, as quick as possible, to get some of those additional supports flowing because that's going to be needed. And it was needed yesterday, so we got to see what that announcement includes today. Yeah, well, that's that's the whole thing. Like, you know, like the government sits there and sees the citizens of Canada, they're, they're giving. But they're, they're sitting back on their heels going, okay, well, we don't need to give so much because everybody else is giving. And the government really doesn't do much. 
yeah, good point. We cannot have it rest on the the backs and the shoulders of individuals, and I think the government knows that, but knowing it and acting on it in a timely fashion sometimes are two different things. So let's see what that announcement at 10 includes, and then what federal support looks like. I mean, they say things like there's got to be more assessment done of what's needed, and I suppose some of that will be done by members of the military who are now boots on the ground as of Sunday evening. So let's go. As quick as we can get the money flowing, the quicker people will be able to try to get back on track. Rob, I'm, gl- I'm glad you called here this morning because your perspective is important as someone who unfortunately has lost it all, which is unimaginable. It is, you know, like, you know, but we, we made it through and we come back. And like I said, I, I feel for the people out in Port of Basque and, and Burgio and everywhere out there in the southwest coast. And uh, like I said, all the best, but it's going to take a long time to heal. Thanks for this, Rob. Appreciate the time. Okay, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, I mean, there's someone who knows what they're living through. And even if you manage to get away virtually unscathed and the home is still intact and you didn't lose anything or anybody, they'll feel it too. I mean, in communities the size of the Rose Blanches and Harbor Lacoos and Burgio and Porta Basque, everybody knows everybody. And everybody's intimately aware of just how people are feeling based on the devastation that's been left behind. Just remarkable stuff. Let's go to line number two. Crystal, you're on the air. Morning, Patty. Morning. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. How about you? Not too bad, thank you. Sure. Heartbroken for everybody affected by Fiona. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, I believe insurance is a necessary evil, but I don't understand this act of God clause. Can you help me understand that? Well, it's it's not really a thing. People refer to some of these weather events as acts of, of God that aren't covered by insurance. But this is very specific to, like, for instance, if a, a wildfire takes place, that's also a, a quote-unquote act of God. But you can get some coverage in that scenario. This one's specifically about there's the possibility that some folks will not see insurance coverage based on storm surge. And these are quotes coming uh, directly from Amanda Dean. She's the Vice President Atlantic of the Insurance Bureau of Canada. They say they're looking at ways to try to price uh, the premiums for this type of coverage and then to offer compensation, but they're not there. Now, people absolutely have to go through the process, call your insurer, see what is or is not covered, but there's going to be a lot of folks that find out the hard way on the telephone with their insurance company that the storm surge damage is not covered. And your question as to why that is, I don't know, but it's always about money. It's, it is always about money, and I, I personally hate insurance companies because it just seems like there's always a loophole for them not to cover the insured um, for one reason or another. Um, I personally used to live in CBS right by the soccer field, so we were at sea level there and with a stream running behind the house and a pond behind the house, you know, any flooding was... In, in certain situations, any flooding was an act of God, and I know my parents struggled a few times to try and get coverage because of acts of God, and I just, my heart is absolutely breaking for anybody in this situation on the West Coast, or anywhere in the world for that matter. Yeah, and you know, I'm lucky enough to have a good relationship with my insurance company, which is a good thing, but for the insurance bureau to say they're looking at and working towards, this is not the first storm surge bit of damage we've ever seen. Things like this have been happening for a long, long time, especially when you think about 
look at the population uh, distribution in North America. How many people are living in close proximity to the coast? A lot. So storm surge happens literally all the time. So for Mm -hmm. there not to be widespread coverage and people to be explained to them, okay, so you're trying to ensure your home or your shed or your fishing stage in Rose Blanche, you know, how close is it to the water? Well, here's what you're going to need for the the coverage and here's what the premium will be as opposed Mm -hmm. to people finding out after the fact, which makes it even worse. Which in some cases is just as bad though, really, because you're probably going to pay exponentially out of pocket for this extra coverage, right? Generally speaking, absolutely. If the you know the more, I was going to say boutique, but the more specific coverage that you get in any insurance policy always comes with an additional premium. You're right. Then I guess this is where. The monies that's going to be spent by the provincial government in particular is going to be important. And I, like, I've already heard some people push back, and I got some emails which are kind of harsh, and they're saying, you know what? I know someone who lives in Port of Bass. They only had an old shack. Now they're going to have this big, beautiful, brand-new home. They just lost their home. I mean, what do you expect yeah. people to do? So if we do a cost-benefit here, if you don't help people get back on their feet, then what becomes of them? And how much is that going to cost? Probably more than the yeah. money they're going to spend to try to rebuild some homes and stages and sheds. Exactly. I appreciate the time this morning. Crystal, anything else you'd like to say? Um, I'm just honest on another completely opposite note. I'm disgusted with the crime in this city these days. It's ridiculous. I've actually been a victim of it myself. I stupidly left my purse in my car in my driveway that was lifted, and then a few days later, my car got stolen. So it's it's crazy what's going on in the city i hope everybody stays safe and is self-aware and aware of your surroundings i hope everybody takes care and have a great day patty the same to you crystal thank you thank you take bye-bye. care bye-bye you know we can see all the crime numbers come out and there's a there's an index that's reported uh, i think uh, twice a year even if there's not numbers that reflect a big spike in for instance violent crime when you see more and more stories of the most heinous types of crimes and the amount of gun violence we've seen even in just the recent past, it doesn't take much for people to get rattled. I mean, like last week, a shooter on the loose in CBS, even if they were targeting specific individuals, one of my sons was working in CBS, tell me I wasn't stressed out. So I understand when folks get rattled. And there does seem to be a fair amount of crime going on. And every time we talk about it, the predictable response will be from some corners that why are we talking about these things? All we're doing is scaring people. We're just talking about things that are actually happening. You know, they're in the news. They're happening in our communities. To not talk about it seems to be sort of the silly way out. But anyway, whatever you want to talk about, whether it be that or Fiona, or any subject under the sun. We've really got to reiterate that constantly because I know there's some of you at home right now thinking, I don't want to bring up my issue because there's so many other people out there hurting worse than I am. That could very well be true, but it doesn't mean that your concern, your question, your piece of public policy or politics or social issues, they're also important. We can talk about them right after this. Don't go away. Weekdays on VOCM, it's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Interestingly, the same person I was exchanging emails with yesterday about the NDP's federal proposal for a parliamentary probe into the price of groceries. 
And I'm, I asked the question of, I mean, what's the desired outcome here? Because people will talk about, you know, inflation at 7%. The price of groceries has gone up 10.8% year over year. So, and revenues are going up. But of course, so are inputs and overheads for grocery chains. But here's the crux of it for me. What are we hoping to achieve here? Because there's two different things. If we look and we hear people talk about like windfall taxes for the big companies, the big multinationals. So is that what people are hoping? Is that these companies will pay more tax? Because just because more the government has more of our money in their hand doesn't mean it's going to make our lives any better. Or is there some sort of magical force that people think can be applied to force the grocery stores to lower the prices? If there is, look, I'm all about it. i got to go grocery shopping again today. So that's the concern I have there is like how do we actually couch the question is it we need you to pay more tax we need you to pay your employees more we need you to lower the prices because they're all three distinctly different things so i get what the ndp are trying to achieve but i just don't know how they get from good intentions to an outcome that makes it less expensive for me to shop at a grocery store secondly like we talked with trevor tome he's a professor of economics at the university of calgary and he's a pretty noted voice on issues regarding like uh, fiscal federalism and inflation and what have you. So part of the inflationary issue is that the economy is actually pretty hot. But here's the rub when we talk about a hot economy. So we know record job vacancies, the wage offerings aren't keeping up with the, the prices that we're all facing and the consumer price index. But it was back in 2003 to 2013, when you read some of the reports in that time frame, talking about the, the number of people working in the public sector. At that time, I remember reading the report, and it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 22.5% of the jobs created in that time frame were in the public sector. Now, the numbers are staggering. We can talk about jobs being added and some jobs that were lost in the September report as people who were working part-time or casual went back to school for instance where which adds up inside that 40,000 that was lost but here's the number since the beginning of the pandemic the public sector has accounted for almost 87% of the new jobs created jobs in the uh, the uh, private sector they grew less than 1%. So we know some of the supports were there to hopefully keep small business alive and viable and keep their employees on the payroll. And some of it was obviously very, very helpful. But when people are talking about job creation, and this one, you'll hear about it because politics is a large part about the economy. It just is. We can put anything else on the table, healthcare and the environment and criminal justice and what have you, but at 99 times out of 100, boils down to the economy. So it's hard to boast about job creation when basically government just hired people you know that it's great that people have a job look i'm all about it but boy oh boy it's hard to pat yourself on the back if you're the federal government and talk about all the jobs that have been created since the pandemic and the economic bounce back when almost 87 percent of them were simply hired by the federal government i mean it's madness or hired by the public sector so including different provinces uh let's go line number one paul you're on the air good morning patty good morning I just had a question, Nash. Now, I, I have worked in retail for 30 years, but not on the business side of okay. it. Okay. Patty, I live here just uh, near the Village Mall, and I've noticed for a long time there's quite a few vacancies uh, for lease, not only in the village itself, but uh, right on Hamlin Road as well. 
Uh, there's even one spot there next to the liquor store. Well, it used to be called 24-7 Pizza. Mm-hmm. That's been vacant for, if I told you, nine months, I probably wouldn't be lying. I'm just wondering, Patty, like, are there any statistics that tell us what, how many businesses start up in a given year and how many actually fail? And yeah. Like, why, why are there so many vacancies? Is, is it just that the rent is too high? Or is it just too much of a gamble to, to start up your own business? I think there's a variety of reasons as to why we see some vacant storefronts. For some, like commercial property is not what it once was, and some businesses simply don't need a, a, a retail front, you know, whether it be people working remotely. But if you're selling in the retail field, you really do need somewhere for, for people to walk in, by and large, I think, rule of thumb. But it's a tough question to answer because it's not just out in Hamlin Road. Water Street, the downtown hub of the capital city, has plenty of places that are vacant and are starting to be really run down and look like they're a bit of a shambles so your question is hard to answer as to why but there are there are stats out there if you went to the cfib the canadian federation for independent business they have some pretty good numbers about how many businesses start and how many businesses fail in the course of whether it be uh, one year blocks or five year blocks so yeah those numbers are out there but there's a bunch of reasons as to why we're seeing the vacancies the way we are yeah and they've been vacant for a long time patty the ones i was referring to right a long time. Just, I just often wonder why, why you think they'd be snatched up, eh? But I guess not. I guess, like I say, there's a variety of reasons for it. But uh, to me, it's almost like the, it's, a, it's a gamble now to start up a business. Now, you were just talking about the economy just now, and a few minutes ago, it was kind of ironic that I called in. But to me, it's, you know, I mean, if I were to start up my own business, I think, I think you'd almost have to have two or three or four or five partners, would you, Patty? You'd have to certainly <laughs> do an awful lot of market research to make sure that you're chasing the right idea. Some people chase passion projects, and that's all fine and dandy. But when you are trying to provide a good or a service, you know, there's lots of competition out there, for one. The yep. move to online shopping has really been an issue for a lot of retailers, I think, with their physical footprint. Because the numbers, say, for instance, shopping online with Amazon, Walmart, Target, the big ones, uh, the big notable ones, they have skyrocketed since the, the pandemic began. So that might have an impact on storefront operations. Then you have some people who are simply are the uh, the owners of the, of the properties. And they probably haven't, in some of these cases, they haven't done the necessary upgrades for people to look for as an attractive option because if I'm a small business owner I don't want to go into a place where I've got to do all the upgrades on the electrical and do some cosmetic work outside to make it look like somewhere people would want to shop so yeah there's a bunch of moving targets there I would suggest okay uh, I was going to ask you one question totally different from what I was asking you about a minute ago okay VOCM correct me if I'm wrong but is VOWR the only station on the air now that plays records are we into an electronic age now where even VOCM doesn't play records anymore? Yeah, we well, don't play any records. It's so all in a bank. What record you guys used to have? You, you must have had thousands. Did they, Patty? I would think so. <laughs> uh, you know... I just wondered. Yeah. Like, a lot of our uh, vinyl would have made its way to VOWR, probably. Oh. Yeah, but that you know, Mike Campbell, for instance, the program director and the uh, the host on the VO, or pardon me, the K Rock Morning Show, of course, with Candice and JLAC. Mike's been here a long time. He'd probably be able to answer that question a little better than I. So I'll I'll ask him during the ten o'clock news break uh, if he can give me a bit of info because that's a good question because there's wonder. a distinct sound. I mean, VOWR is friends of ours, right? We do a lot of work with them. Our engineers do a lot of volunteering down at VOWR to try to keep them on and of course when they ran into a problem uh, a technical snafu there a while ago we were there to try to help them out because they're an important part of the radio community here people yeah, love I, a bit of VOW I, I listen to them quite often VOW, RVLCM that's probably the two I only listen to anyway Patty well we appreciate you tuning in to this program and our sure. station and thanks for the call this morning thanks buddy take care bye bye 
You know, it's a good question about all the vacancies. And, you know, whether it be in the village or on Hamlin Road, I think they're the two that he mentioned specifically, it really does jump out at you when you go to the downtown core of the capital city and see that vacancies are real. And some of those buildings that are vacant are turning into absolute eyesores. Now, people can talk about the eyesore that is Atlantic Place, but some of these smaller operations that were not that long ago, pretty vibrant, are not so much anymore. Now, there's still people doing brisk business down in Water Street, not to suggest it's not, but we'll see vacancies like that. And I'll throw this back out there. You know, like for commercial property, regardless of what you're paying for per square foot, there's still a lot of those properties that will probably struggle to get big full-time tenants like they had in years past. I mean, just think about how many people who continue to work from home. Now, I think there's a different question, and, you know, I think I asked Minister O'Regan this the other day about why a hybrid parliament? You know, everyone's, I've been told, we're back to normal, even though it's not over. COVID is not behind us. And I don't know if we're in the endemic game or not, but it's still out there. It's in the community. But... People have been going back to work. I still have lots of my friends, though, that are working from the office in the basement of their home and enjoying it. It's not for me. I need a distinction between my workplace and where I live because I just don't feel like, you know, if you're working from home, the feeling for me would be, well, I never leave work, which kind of in my mind I don't anyway. But for a lot of folks, they're staying home and they love it at home. So consequently, the big footprint of office space that some companies once needed, they don't need it anymore. You know, I would imagine for many bosses, certainly in the private sector, if you are at home, productive, efficient, hitting your timelines, hitting your deadlines, making your quota, whatever the case may be, if that's working out for you and you are happier and content and able to save some money, whether it be on travel-related expenses and or daycare, for instance, whatever the case may be, if I'm the boss, I just need you to get the job done. I'm not so sure I really care if I got you right where I can grab you. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Well, there's so many different things that need to be considered as we go to rebuild and to add further protections, whether it be with breakwaters or proximity to the rising sea levels where we build stuff, all of these things. But there's so many big questions that I can possibly, couldn't possibly think up. But thankfully, the contribution of the listeners, the callers, and the emailers, here's a good one that we'll talk about on line number one with Gary. Good morning, Gary. You're on the air. Yeah, good, good morning, Patty. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an interesting email you sent me. I hadn't given it any consideration. Walk us through your thought. Well, if you look at, uh, you know, we watch the weather in my profession, and, and you look at these systems, and it's an odd system because the sea is moving from, you know, very southern parts of the, of the globe, and it's being pushed up against blockages. So in this case, you got a tidal surge hitting a the south coast of Newfoundland, which is a very unusual geological formation, is pretty well a straight line of cliffs. Now, that's divided by the Buren Peninsula, so any major system that would hit the south coast would, in fact, back up like a dam and then find a point of relief. So you'd have a tidal surge looking for relief, and that relief would be the southwest corner of Newfoundland being Port of Basque. So that would then cause also what I'd like to call a tidal river. And I think that may have been a factor on that specialist in any way of any of this stuff, but it's just an observation. So with that observation, what could be done to accommodate what your thoughts are behind this tidal surge and this tidal, tidal river? Uh, well, I think you, you simply there's no engineered solution to this. Uh, 
the thing is that when you see these formations, they don't happen very often, so there's no history, no record, so no way to sort of anticipate. But, you know, this surge would have backed up and got further elevated, but, you know, at some point it runs around. So I think in forecasting, you just got to understand the severity of this type of storm that comes up unimpeded directly at Newfoundland and take the necessary precautions, whether it's hitting the you know, west coast or the east coast. If it hit the east coast, of course, it would be a whole different set of uh, circumstances. Yeah, no question. And, you know, given the warming sea surface temperatures where a lot of these storms get their energy, there's big questions we have to ask ourselves about how we rebuild here and what we do for future mitigation. Because regardless of your stance or your thoughts on climate change, regardless if you think this is going to be more severe and frequent in the future, the fact is we just experienced one. We've had yeah. the, the responsibility to looking back at, at Igor and Andrew and Earl and now Fiona and Ian is about to pummel Florida. We just have to prepare for worst-case scenario. That's what emergency preparedness is all about. It's not saying, well, it's only going to be infrequent, so who cares? Because what's the end result? Uh, people's properties lost, people's lives lost, people's lives upside down, changed forever. So preparation and asking questions is going to be a big part of this recovery. Yeah, and and mapping the consequences sure. of things like this. Like, you got to look at this now and, and study how this was unique. We've had very warm weather. There is definitely uh, a climate consideration here that causes, you know, the ocean to be changing. And, and the effects of it swept east or swept west and the difference in, you know, the currents that go around Newfoundland naturally. You know, how do all of those things play a role in how this surge hits our our province you know and how do we how do we protect ourselves for this and it's just an observation of mine uh, and uh, it's something I, I just thought i'd throw out there i appreciate you doing exactly that like you talk about uh, monitoring and mapping uh we did and we've saw some investment on that frontier a number of years ago we saw all the massive flooding out in stephenville and surrounding area with the rivers so we spent some money to map it and under better understand it and to try to put the mitigation measures in place even more importantly now when we see what fiona has meant to the southwest coast uh, interesting observation gary I'm, I'm glad you made time for the show one one, one little sure. point there is just that when you consider that and a storm that comes straight up and then like we've seen a couple of weeks ago here record rainfalls here in the avalanche of over 200 millimeters and um, if that storm hit the south coast with more hitting the clock we'll say more to the 10 o'clock 11 o'clock so i would have you know more rain would be then the effects that you're talking about here would be way worse no doubt. Uh, thanks for this, Gary. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, uh, wrong button. Uh, there we go. So, and of course, the big questions being asked, but I want to give a shout out one more time for folks in the area in and around Pasadena and wanting to make some sort of donation, even though, you know, we, we'll get down to the very specifics that are still needed out on the Southwest Coast. But if you're so inclined to making a donation today, you can do it if you're, like I said, in and around Pasadena at St. David's Church. That's on 11 Daw Place from 12 noon till 5 p.m. Their trucks and trailers will be leaving tomorrow morning. So today is the day if you want to make a donation there. Another, I think, an interesting observation made by a listener and sent along via Twitter. It's about wind turbines. So what, you know, part of the assessment for environmental sensitivities and concerns regarding world energy GH2, yeah, that all has to be done. And Doc O'Keefe asked an interesting question yesterday about who's doing it, what's the reputation, and what's more specifically the process. Because we all just say there's an environmental assessment being done. But yeah, to understand that more would probably be helpful. But then regarding high winds and wind turbines, there are certain types of winds that they can't withstand. 
That's true. Now, I don't mean that in, in the form of they would topple over necessarily, but they become pretty ineffective in certain uh, strength of breeze or wind. So that's a good question to ask there. So while we're talking about all of these types of mitigation measures and to do what we can to ensure we're best prepared, you know, some things there's not much you can do about. For instance, a storm surge. Like, there is just no measure in place. You can put the breakwaters up all you like, but if they were able to rip them out of intrapacity based on a storm surge or all the damage in CBS with a storm surge and what we saw over this past weekend, not much you can do about it other than try to build as far as way from the breadth or the reach of a storm surge i suppose and even then there's always going to be some roads and infrastructure that is going to be in harm's way like if you look at marine drive in port of basque that's right on the coast i mean it's right there how do you protect that you probably can't but to do everything else possible to make it a bit safer and to protect people's personal property and protect government infrastructure we've got to figure it out has anybody heard if there was any real interruption i know marine atlantic couldn't sail during the worst of the storm and they're back on the water now but like even their facilities and where we rely so much on the importation of goods, I mean, we only produce about 10% of what we consume around here. So Marine Atlantic, thankfully, made it made away. And in Cape Breton, that was right in the absolute eye, the crosshairs of Fiona. But thankfully, Marine Atlantic services are back in operation. So that's a good question about the wind turbines. I really don't know the answer to that one. But like everything else that we've learned the hard way, we have to factor it in. And I do find it to be just a little bit strange where... So many people are simply unwilling to talk about what the impact of climate change is on these storms. Like, I mean, for the scientists, there's no such thing as 100% uh, 100% consensus in the scientific community on any issue, right? Just like there's no 100% consensus in the economics uh, field. But the consensus is pretty clear on this one. So... You're right. I mean, I know people will make what I think is a clever quip and say, you know, how's carbon tax going to stop a hurricane? The short answer is it can't and it won't. But that's not the concept, right? The concept is if people are having forced to change their purchasing power and their habits and the amount of things they consume and how they consume them and where they're from and whether it be even just uh, changing behaviors with how much gasoline or diesel we all burn, that's what the pressures are there. I mean, that's, that's straight up market pressure that used to be the hallmark of uh, conservative politics. And in fact, we all know it to be true. The conservatives really were supportive of a price on pollution or carbon tax with uh, Prime Minister Harper, but now it's more political than it is policy. So it's really not that helpful. Uh, but that's where we are. So, it again, it doesn't necessarily really matter what you subscribe to or what you think the factors are. The reality is the proof's in the pudding. We just got pummeled, and it won't be the last time. And, you know, there's going to have to be those types of conversations and the mitigation measures that are required. And, yes, it does feel a little bit cold, and the timing might be slightly inappropriate if for, for folks who have lost it all. And to talk about how and where you rebuild. But we've got to be smart about this. Right? I know people initially when they built uh, on the coastlines, for in large part, it wasn't simply about the vista and the view. It's because it was close by what you did for a living. It was close by your the wharf or your fishing enterprise, your stage, whatever the case may be. But now we know what we know. And there's going to be some serious discussions that have to be had there. And I don't know if the government is going to be, I'll say, heavy-handed or put some caveats in place that if you're getting government support because you're underinsured or uninsured about how and where you rebuild, 
we're going to have to be smart about this. We really truly are. Nobody wants to be told, you cannot live there. Well, my family lived there for 80 years, and so consequently, I am going to stay there. But does that mean that we're simply rebuilding somewhere where the exact same thing might happen whenever the next storm hits, whenever that might be? I don't know. Nobody really knows at this moment in time. But those are questions that we're just going to have to answer. All right. So also, in a reaction to a comment I made about, you know, being sent sensitive, I'm not too bad. You know, it doesn't really get me. Now, it's quite noticeable if you walk through, say, the perfume counter in a grocery, or pardon me, a grocery store, in a drugstore or at the bay, you know, it can be quite overwhelming. And the comment was about uh, a woman who took out the bottle of perfume while in flight in an aircraft. There's nowhere to go. And I know the exchange of air is pretty good with the HEPA filters and whatnot in an aircraft, but there's a lot of people out there that are sensitive to scents. So if we are told that some public buildings scent free and, you know, have to be responsible with wearing, whether it be cologne or perfume or whatever the case may be, the comment was whether or not that, that should be something that we see in an aircraft. I don't know. I put it out there in the form of a question if you'd like to offer the answer and, of course, to talk about anything on this program. It can be done after the news. Now, I did say earlier on that we were going to cover the provincial press conference with the, I guess it's going to be the Premier, Minister Lovelace, maybe the Prime Minister. I don't know who's going to be in, in attendance, but uh, Minister Parsons, of course, who's the member for Burjo Lapoil. It's not going to be... Uh, live stream for the entire province. Why? I don't know. It seems like a strange way to approach this. It's just the media availability for those in attendance. Maybe they're taking some calls from reporters around the province. I don't know, but we won't be carrying it live. We will carry the implications of it, though, right after this when we come back from the news. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Uh, thanks for having me today. Happy to do it. Yeah, so I'm uh, calling in because I was listening to what you were talking a bit about there with Fiona and some of the challenges that that are faced with figuring out what to do with rebuilding. And I, I really, uh, so in, for professionally, I do a lot of climate change work, right? And, you know, a, a, bit, a big topic today especially in Canada is, is climate adaptation and I think one of the things that people don't really realize and I think storms like this really take to the forefront is like we're not particularly well adapted you know and how we got our infrastructure set up for even extreme weather under today's climate or you know even the climate of 30 years ago you know let alone how things might look in in 50 years and and, you know, with events like Fiona, obviously, these discussions come to the forefront, but um, reacting after the fact is always one of the challenges with being reactive instead of like proactive is that, you know, when something doesn't happen, you know, governments don't necessarily get, get the, the praise associated with that. Um, and it's usually the actions that happen happen after some sort of extreme thing. And so I think it's pretty important that at this point, juncture we do have these conversations and we try to think about 
what can be done to be proactive and and try and um, do a better job of predicting what kinds of impacts we may see and and what kinds of development we should be um, working towards to avoid uh, potential uh, storm surges like this or whether it be winds or, or rainfalls, right? Yeah, you know, for me, it's so people very quickly and, and all this week, I've been reading the same type of emails that people say climate change hysteria. No, we're talking about reacting to what we just saw. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, put it this way. If you live in close proximity to the San Andreas Fault, they build and design and engineer buildings to accommodate the possibility of, of earthquakes. Doesn't mean it happens all the time, but it happens. And we're seeing what the storms and the droughts and the fires have meant in this country in the last couple of years. It's different. All you have to do is look at the insurance companies. All you have to do is listen to the people in the oil and gas business. They know what the contributing factors are. The insurance companies are quite clear about the uh, damages being paid out more and more. It's It's not incremental increases. It's big whopping massive increases year over year so we've got to react to what what's happening right in front of us and you're right it's not just about what it might look like next year it's what it's going to look like with public monies being spent what it's going to look like and feel like in 20 years or 30 years or whatever the case may be of course we have to talk about it and we have to be realistic one one, re- uh, one i think it's going to be obvious uh by in the next couple of days unfortunately really sadly but like we're looking at you know there's this big storm about to hit Florida today and it's going to be really bad and one of the things is it's hitting a part of Florida that um, you know has a lot of older buildings that were done before some of the standards got raised in Florida they uh, they raised their standards after for building uh, after Hurricane Andrew did so much damage in the early 90s so all new buildings past that point they learned that lesson and said okay new buildings have to be built to this standard and so since that time a lot of the structures that were built kind of newer have done really well in hurricanes whereas the older ones have been hit really hard and you know we're seeing this massive storm about to hit uh, somewhere today really in western Florida mm-hmm. and that area hasn't had a lot of uh, new buildings designed up to that that same standard right so this is going to it's kind of one of those things that shows you you know places all around the world are trying to learn the lessons of when they go through um, extreme events and, and figure out the ways in which you can adapt better into the future the one thing i will caution a bit and i I do think some of the previous people who've who've talked have kind of mentioned some of these things there's a lot of like core information we don't have in in this province you know somebody mentioned the mapping stuff and i mean you know we don't have great uh, surveys done of of even elevations across our province so it's really hard to take when somebody says oh you got a storm surge of two meters and and really apply that what does that look like right when you don't got that information and so things like that are really important but also just long-term investment from probably governments to be honest um, to be able to uh, you know have the tools there for municipalities to be able to say we can you know talk to this person at this municipal department and they can help us uh, you know incorporate uh, planning for extreme weather into our municipal plans and stuff like that that that's been lacking it's kind of been municipalities have had to go out and get external consultants on a you know case-by-case basis to do this kind of stuff but not really like a coherent vision across the province to try 
try and make us, uh, I guess, more resilient into the future. Because I know even the uh, town of uh, Port Basque, they hired an independent uh, environmental consultant from Harbour, Maine. So you're absolutely right. We've got a bit of a piecemeal approach going here. And of course, like most things that end up being piecemeal, they're ad hoc and there's no consistency. And not every community will have the wherewithal to undertake it. So I think that's an excellent point. You know, I don't pretend to know a whole lot about what it would mean for the appropriate mapping. What do we do with appropriate mapping? I know we did some with the, some of the rivers that overflowed in Stephenville and surrounding area. There were a bunch of years ago. The province spent some money on it. But even if we have the information, what does that mean? Because people still live where they live. Uh, it's mostly used in, in kind of future planning, right? So like in designing your building uh, or in designing basically where people can build new buildings. It's always a challenge with existing old ones, um, you know, with older structures in areas that are flood prone. You know, that's it's a risk. Unfortunately, it, it just it just is when when you're low and close to the sea. But um, in order to be able to tell people, hey, we're rebuilding where can we put these structures to you need to know basically how high the elevation of the land is and and you know something as simple as that sounds sounds it sounds simple right but it's it's something that canada in general hasn't done a very good job in investing in it's done really well for all the cities and stuff um, especially in the flood prone ones but it's not done uh, very well in a lot of uh, rural areas in particular whereas in the u.s they have the whole country mapped out that way right that's why you'll see all these maps from this storm today they'll show exactly which areas are at risk and which aren't. It's just about um, having that kind of tool available so that municipalities, when they're planning future developments, can say, you know, we're going to maybe put this uh, future residential area a bit further away from the coast in this zone instead of this zone because, you know, maybe if there's a, a really anomalous storm, this area might be impacted. Stuff like that, that just, it's it sounds simple, but um, can make a difference and can make the jobs easier those people are trying to plan kind of what the future will look like right and i would imagine it also drives how people evaluate what areas should be evacuated you know even fundamentals such as that uh robert good point appreciate the time anything else you'd like to add this morning uh, i think the only thing i'd just add uh with this and it's i mean it's it's a challenging thing there's a lot of people going through some some major upheavals in their life today and and you know your thoughts are with the people and particularly in Port of Basque um, at this time um, I, I personally you know I, I don't think it's time for getting too heavy on the criticism with this stuff um, in terms of uh, government response and all that but I, I think I would have liked to have seen um, some stuff moving a bit quicker and and I guess a bit better of uh, kind of right from the beginning of having the resources around uh, to be able to support those. We all, you know, people watching this system knew it was going to be a, a really scary situation for a lot of areas in Atlantic Canada and, and you know, just needing to have the resources there ready to mobilize the second um, the weather cleared up, uh, I think is something really important to think about in kind of future disaster responses. Fair ball. Appreciate the time, Robert. Nice to have you on. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah, because when governments know that it will be incumbent on them to respond, in these cases, it's really time is the essence, is of the essence. Of course it is, no doubt about it. Uh, before we go to the break, we're going to go to line number two. Brian, you're on the air. Hello, Patty. How are you? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing not bad. Patty, I want to talk about the health care system. I had the experience which showed me another part of the health care system that we don't talk about. 
If I get a bit emotional, I'm sorry. Um, I'm an emotional guy. Um, two weeks ago, my sister in my apartment, I got a small room, fell down and hit her head. And uh, between the jigs and the reeds, I'm on, I would say, uh, myself and a few friends I'm up upstairs, got her up and on, on the uh, sofa, but uh, she couldn't go to bed. She had so much pain, and I didn't know what was wrong. The next morning, we phoned the uh, non-woman, and they sent uh, uh, the people on the on the end, and they brought her to St. Clear's Mercy Hospital. And by uh, x-rays and observation, they discovered that she had uh, severely damaged her uh, pelvis. And they had to do an uh, immediate operation that Sunday. The doctors phoned me Sunday after the operation and said the operation itself went pretty good. But unfortunately, they found fluid on her stomach and on her uh, on her. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a bit upset. They found a, a liquid on her stomach and uh, on her lungs. And they said that looked like it was cancer in both areas. Um, and so they started doing more tests on Monday. And, they did, and then they went further and said, it probably is in her liver now. And I freaked out. I'm not a courageous man, Patty. I freaked out. With my sister, who said, Brian, quieten down. They know what they're doing. And so uh, there was no doubt about it that uh, the doctor told me there was, there's no hope. And they told my sister. And she was just so courageous about it. And on Thursday night, I received a, a Thursday morning, I received a phone call from uh, the head doctor, and he told me that my sister wouldn't last very long. And I went over to the hospital and stayed until Friday. And on Friday afternoon at 4.30, she went home to the Lord. But, Patty, what I experienced, and what my sister experienced during this sad situation, was compassion and the understanding of the nurses and doctors and other people at St. Clair's Mercy Hospital. You know, we talk about doctors leaving. We're talking about waiting. And I understand that. But, you know... These doctors and these nurses showed such compassion. I was blown away, and it helped me through through that time. And, you know, I wanted to phone in this morning because I know that our healthcare system gets a bad name. But, you know, when you really need them, they're there. And I think that you have to have to be a compassionate human being even to go into that field. And what the people did for me at the St. Clair's Mercy Hospital, and the name, those dear people certainly lived up to their name. And uh, Friday afternoon, they were so compassionate to me, Patty. I had to phone in today. It may not be appropriate. I don't know what. Sure it is. I mean, if you, if you think the bedside manner and the way with which they handle such dire news for you and your family of course that's important because that that's people's worst moments uh, for many people that would be the worst moment of their life so i'm glad that it was that type of experience albeit the news that nobody wanted to hear uh, i appreciate this brian because every now and then the good people in the healthcare system get overlooked because we focus in on the shortcomings and the problems and of course we have to but there's also opportunities to say someone did a good job if they did exactly and i'll that. tell you one thing Patty. okay quickly 
my sister always had a sense of humor. I said to her last week, I said, is there any, if you're going to die, is there anything that you won't miss? She said, yes, news about Donald Trump. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Okay, thank you, Thanks, Patrick, Brian. for allowing me to come on you're and express my views this morning. Take good care. Yes, I will. All right, bye-bye. Uh, and as mentioned, when we get updated lists from the crowd in and around Port of Baskin area with some of the things that they continue to need, as opposed to the saturation that they felt with some clothing and what have you. So here's the most recent list, if you're so inclined, because I know tomorrow out at Akita Equipment, up by Paddy's Pond, they'll be loading up a truck to be taken across the province as well. So here's some of the things they're still looking for. Evaporated milk canned food, boxed food, cheese slices, instant coffee, tea, razors, cleaning supplies, sugar, canned milk, or canned milk is there twice, oatmeal, pillows, bedding, face cloths, uh, shaving cream, dog food, cat food, pasta, spaghetti sauce, are some of the things that they're still looking for. If you are so inclined, whether you go to Acadia Equipment tomorrow to visit Chris Howlett and his team, and or going to uh, St. David's Church at 11 Dog Place in Pasadena today, maybe there are some of the things you can consider if you're able to make a donation. Quickly, and this is in reaction to uh, an email that I got, and this guy's 100% right. I'll leave the name out of it. He says, this is my home in Burgio. Beautiful place. He sent me the pictures. He's been there since 1997. The house has been there for over 100 years. Some say to me that maybe I should move, but that's easier said than done. I have, uh, he knows of many more that simply can't afford to go build on higher ground. The, the wife says sometimes it's only, it's, it's only a matter of time before we get washed out of here, but until then, that's where we're living. Hard on the head, scary every storm. And you're absolutely right, sir. And hopefully it doesn't come across like I'm making it sound just so easy. Oh, well, everyone just moved to higher ground. No, of course not. Of course not. For some people, you are where you are. And, you know, people understand what potential risks might be at play. But I don't think anybody's suggestion that all of a sudden everyone that lives anywhere where the storm surge might hit has to just move right away and that's it, build on higher ground. Uh, no, of course. There's going to be a lot of things that are really difficult decisions that people will make. And I understand if you're unable to move to higher ground because of the realities of life, your house is where your house is, 100% understand. And so, yeah, try to be careful that we don't speak in such declarative set people must do this you must do this or you must do that because it's just not that simple is it but when we're talking about things that have to be completely rebuilt because they're completely lost that's where i think we have some flexibility to make the best decisions but robert made some interesting points there regarding how we approach making the best decision possible what you need is the type of data compilation regarding mapping and stuff for instance because that can indeed be a big part of making good decisions it's interesting that he mentioned the entirety of the United States is mapped in that fashion and someone just shared a map with me about the potential and the severity of impact for Hurricane Ian in Florida and they've got the mapping down to the obviously quote-unquote science uh, so yes sir I know you not everyone's going to be able to move to higher ground because it's just not realistic let's go ahead and take a break when we come back we're speaking to you on a topic of your choosing don't go away welcome back let's go to line number one Rhonda you're on the air hi Patty how are you I'm great this morning thank you how about yourself Oh, good. I wanted to call in and talk about the health care and the workers, doctors and nurses. Okay. And workers, uh, social workers, all of them. 
I experienced uh, COVID hit and cancer hit my family. I uh, ended up having two cancer surgeries and um, I couldn't ask for any better care. I was taken care of. These people, like, you know, were, were going through the same dilemmas as the rest of us. And the utmost uh, respect I have for them today. What was your diagnosis, Rhonda? If you don't mind me asking, feel free not to answer that personal question. Uh, the diagnosis is, uh, well, I had four spots of cancer. And um, stage two. And um, my aunt, she ended up in shortly after me with breast cancer. And I won't give you her her she 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 went through like a trooper like she done really well but like that's her her story to tell but um we had both of us had phenomenal workers you know the nursing staff you couldn't ask for any better the doctors you couldn't ask for any better everyone was there for us um we pulled each other through because there was no support groups or anything. You couldn't go to anything like that. We we can't say enough. Um, St. Clair's, they rock. They're awesome. And I, if I had the world to give them, I would. What's the prognosis, Rhonda, for you? Um, hopefully great. Yeah, uh, hopefully great. Yeah. And um, my aunt is doing fantastic as well. That's super to hear. And, you know, I, I say this all the time when we get these types of calls. People's personal experience, once they get in the system and get some help navigating the system, is generally quite positive. I know there's always going to be some hiccups and hurdles because we're talking about humans, so nothing's ever well, going to be perfect. We, but when the treatment is good. We've seen the hiccups. We've seen the hiccups. Sure. But I also seen uh, a pregnant nurse. You know, here here she was, pregnant, and she was staying working until, you know, COVID was on the go, and she's, she puts, you know, herself at risk. And, you know, <laughs> I, I was baffled, right? It was so, like, she was so concerned about her patients and doing her job and, like, you know, COVID was new, and you can't ask for any better. Well, I'm glad that was your experience uh, because I have some very personal relationship with COVID and cancer as well, and it was the care was was excellent. And not, it's not me personally, but someone very close to me. And uh, we couldn't have asked for any better either. So that's the type of stories that sometimes it is important to share because it is so easy to get caught up in the real problems in the healthcare system. And there are many, and we've got to do better. We've got to figure them out. But we also have to offer the, the thanks to the, the really compassionate, dedicated healthcare professionals that are part of the system. And, like, like, I would not, like, our nurses... And, like, I know, I've known for years most of the the profs 
at school of nursing. And, um, like, they train those girls in, in being hurt. Like, you know, they don't, they have a tough curriculum. And it's, it's, it's amazing, like, you know, to see them out on the floor and knowing what I know and seeing them do their job, put their life at risk because their life was at risk with COVID. And, like, you know, the outcome that we had, you know, even to this day, we have, uh, like, uh, amazing aftercare, too, right? Post-op, everything, like, you know, we couldn't ask for any better. I'm glad that was the case, Ron, and I'm glad you made time for me and the show this morning. Thanks very much, and wish you good luck and good health. You, too. Take care. Bye. All right, bye-bye. Uh, we'll try to get half back on track here. Now we're going to hear from someone who actually set foot in Puerto Basque today. Maybe we'll see what this person saw, what he heard and felt when he was in the community that we all have seen the devastating images. Uh, Byron, up right after this. Don't go away. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Byron. You're on the air. Hi, how you doing? Okay, how about you? Not bad, not bad. Myself now and uh, Nevin and Lovelace are on our way from Grand Falls, Windsor, over to Port of Asque. I put a, a thing on Facebook a couple of days ago, and just want to say thank you to everybody who donated and brought supplies by and e-transferred e money to us and everything. So we've got, uh, we shipped over four pallets of, of, of clothing and different items yesterday, and we got a truck load and a trailer load and a car load here now of stuff that I found that they had online for lists of stuff like toiletries and we've got tools. We just stopped in Cornerbrook and picked up a mess of tools and and so it's been wonderful things. So we're on our way down there now to, to help out people at Port of Basque for a few days. Well good on you and good on everyone who, who's done anything like this. So you haven't been to Port of Basque yet, I so I not yet. No. That was incorrect where I yes, previewed yeah, yeah. your your call. Yeah. Okay, so you're we, gonna be personally Cornerbrook. Okay, just left Cornerbrook. Yeah. So you're going to be in Port of Basque today. You know, I'm tempted to go out there. I mean, I know I'll just be in the way even if I do get my hands dirty and try to help in the cleanup and what have you, but to see it yep. is going to be a much different feature than me looking at videos and pictures yeah for sure i've got i've got a few nice books in the hotel down there so i'm gonna go down and see if i can help out as much as i can and everything so i'm a retired teacher so i get a bit of time on my hands now to help out good for you byron so do you have the any main thing i'm calling is to thank thank everybody that that helped support so i had a local business in town uh, a dealership of riverview motors and they donated a thousand dollars and we went to a store rips and they actually gave us everything for half price so the thousand turned into two thousand and stuff like that. So that's what it takes. Wonderful. That's what it takes. I, uh, I think it's going to be everybody. a real extraordinary experience to set foot in the community because, like, yeah, even today, right. a lot of heavy rain in the forecast, so that's going to jeopardize yeah. some of the cleanup. So you're going to get to see it in in all its uh, yeah. devastation. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that part. No, but I'm going to try to go down and see what I can do for help out in any way, shape, or form. So well, do it. Stay safe. Thank you, everybody. Yes, and yeah, I appreciate I the reference as well. Congratulations. Okay. Uh, good luck. Thank you. Okay, Have bye. a good day. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, on the way to Port of Basque. Okay, very quickly, just a couple of details coming out from the press conference that. I think it's still ongoing in Port of Bass today when there's the Minister Lovelace, Parsons and the Premier are addressing certain members of the media who are right there. Okay, this is providing some of the details on the $30 million in the relief package. 
here we go. Part of the relief package is immediate one-time payment. So $1,000 for households that need repairs when residents can return safely. $10,000 for displaced residents that can't return to their homes. There's a housing coordinator that's been put in place. They say they're working on them. Here's where it gets a bit great. Working on medium-term solutions for people who can't go home. They're working with the federal government regarding uh, uh, DFOs. I think responsibility to be involved in this rebuild because, you know, in some communities, every single fishing stage is in the harbor. So that's people's enterprises. So we'll see what becomes of that. Uh, da, 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 da. Whether uh, residents have insurance or not, they will qualify for financial relief is what we already knew. Money handed out through the Red Cross will begin as early as this coming Monday. Here's one of the quotes. Impacted individuals that are in need of support, it is critical that they register with the Canadian Red Cross by calling the toll-free number, which is in the region. They all know they have this in hand. It's 1-800-863-6582. Or you can go to the Emergency Shelter at St. James Regional High School, uh, which is on Hardy's Artillery Road, Arterial Road in Channel Port of Basque. So that's some of the details that we understand at this point. We'll share more when we get them. Let's go to line number one. Dave, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay, thanks you. Very good, sir. Good. Enjoying your show as usual. Good. And uh, listening to and, and, and paying attention to a lot of the things that are taking place out and around the Port of Basque area and the areas that were devastated by this brutal storm. One of the things that I thought should go and should be mentioned was something that happened yesterday and it's very typical of this group of people, and it should never go unnoticed. Stephen Bill Kinsman is a very focused group, a small group. As a matter of fact, I think there's only um, eight active members. And we see such great acts of community involvement from the Kinsmen every day in this region from the community gathering spots like they've helped to fund to build like in Stephenville, Kin Court, the donations that they've given to our hospitals such as dialysis units, money for different sections of the hospitals need and when they do raise money. And yesterday they donated a $20,000 cash donation to the relief effort for people in Port of Bass, for our neighbors to the west. Fantastic. It's something that should never, ever go unnoticed. It's a complete volunteerism effort. Our area is blessed to have the likes of them. I looked this morning and uh, on their website, and from what I can tell, they only have eight active members, and I'll name them for you. Bill Janes, Harvey Bulgin, Corey Oliver, Henry White, Jim Fleming, Ralph Wells, Richard Donamount, Donald Swan. We uh, were blessed to have the likes of you people for what you do, for what you do for us, for the entire community, and now reaching out beyond the Stephenville area here to our neighbors a little west who desperately need it because at this point in time, no doubt that when they look around Port of Basket, if you're one of those 80 or 85 homes that have been displaced, displaced and ruined, you got to have something that gives you a bit of, of faith, and you you kind of you see this as a a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel that you won't be in it alone. And then our province coming in with 30 million dollar relief fund to.
start getting people's lives back to where they should be and where they were. Um, it's nice to see that, and and nice to realize that you're part of a a province and a region that looks out to each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that's long been the case. You know, I don't know if this is welcome commentary, but. It'd be nice if we learned a few lessons from these very dark stories and dark times. When we do rally uh, around each other, when there's displays of kindness, it seems to be make things just a little bit easier to navigate because it's not only these major weather events. There's so many things happening that folks are rattled and folks are struggling. But we've got this nasty habit sometimes of playing a little bit of... Uh, <laughs> We kind of were not as kind to each other as we should be all the time. You know, we're pretty good with the visitors and stuff, and that's all great, but we've got to be a little bit more attentive to making this the norm, not the exception. We, you know, kindness for your neighbor and being a bit more reasonable with each other is probably a little bit overdue. And I know people don't like to hear it, but that's the reality. We've got to just knock it off a little bit because, you know, I know the cliches are kind of exhausting and irritating, but we are absolutely all in it together. We can have different political opinions or what have you, but we've got to tone down the nastiness a little bit. Got to agree. And I mean, it's times like this that make it blatantly obvious that it is the better side of the human spirit that I'd like to experience on a more regular basis. And uh, to not have to uh, necessarily go back to, as you've alluded to, you know, not not making this a part of your everyday. It really should be. It should be part of the way we, we treat most things in life. Yeah, and I mean, it's not all about kumbaya and, you know, we've got to go around with a big, a relentless smile and, you know, doing random acts of kindness all day, every day. It's just if we just tone down some of the nasty rhetoric a little bit, it'd probably make things just a little bit easier, a little bit more manageable. And, you know, I don't, re I don't even understand how some people can be just so outraged all day long, every single day. It must be absolutely exhausting. And some of it is just because they feel like they want to act like that no people can do as they see fit who am I to tell you but I just don't know why we're so deeply ingrained uh, with that type of stuff and I know it's not just here and it's happening in a lot in different parts of the country but a lot of it's just so unnecessary we can have debates and we can share different political opinions and leanings but far too often it ends up in a, a real hate-filled racket ASAP in the blink of an eye yeah, we just got to realize that everybody else is, is allowed to own an opinion and to to be able to exercise one. And guess what? Sometimes other people's opinion might teach you something. You yeah, mean, sure. It might be something that <laughs> is a little bit better than the, the opinion that you were carrying around. Yeah, disagreeing uh, is fine. Uh, it's the it's like I say, sometimes it just gets amplified to the nth degree with the bat of an eye. It's just really something to behold. So congratulations to the, uh, the person, the people that you mentioned and the good work they're doing and the extremely generous donation I'm sure they'll be most welcomed Steve Mokinsman Club we're blessed to have them like I say they they do so much uh, that most people don't even see and it's all voluntary and it's all for the benefit of the, the community and, and the greater number of us appreciate the time Dave thanks buddy take care man bye bye uh, okay let's see here how are we doing out there Dave uh, let's take a break when we come back sure there's lots of time to speak with you don't go away welcome back to the show let's go to line number one good morning caller you're on the air good morning Patty. welcome to the show Hello. what's on your mind hi I just heard the gentleman uh, talking about the uh, the relief efforts being done by the kinsmen mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, second that and to congratulate them uh, I've been to uh, an experience like this myself. You know, we had the windstorms that damaged our community, and it was the uh, local organizations that really came through for us. Uh, 
I wanted to tell people and I want to tell them what to do, but I would advise to do do your homework before you would give uh, your hard-earned money to uh, organizations like Red Cross. We found that the money that a lot of people donated thousands of dollars and we never saw anything until months later and it was people that had like no food nowhere to stay no transportation no closing nothing and the, all the money that came that got, got to them when they needed it came from local service organizations can't overestimate the importance of those groups for some people they kind of feel like an air a bygone era the service group the kins and the lines stuff but absolutely not true at all it's not only about networking for business purposes, which some people use it for, but they're on the ground doing good things, and they're very nimble, and they can do them very quick. The only reason I've ever even mentioned the Canadian Red Cross here is not only because they're obviously another excellent organization, but with the matching of funds and the money is intended to start flowing by Monday, I just put it out there as an option. But if you think that because you have a relationship with or you've seen the work that the Lions have done or the Kins have done or the Shriners have done, the service groups are still an important part of the community, obviously, absolutely. Yeah, um, and like I say, I, I, I appreciate the people that uh, donated to us, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are considering donating right now. My advice, like I said, not to tell people where to put their money, but do their homework. I would uh, Google other people's experiences with uh, Red Cross, and uh, I know if we, we are firsthand that uh, in, in our case, they, they gave us reasons like they have to... Uh, prioritize and they also have uh, they kept money aside for future projects advertising administrative if you want your money I think to have your the biggest bang for your buck I would consider doing either directly to the people or find uh, you know uh, fundraisings like uh, I think give send go is one or like the local kinsmen anything if you want your money to have the most direct impact on people definitely do your homework. Oh yeah, and I think that's a good uh, suggestion when you talk about a charitable donation period because there's good websites out there that I actually use to look at what overhead might be administrative fees and things that some of the big charities uh, charge when people don't factor that in because not every dime makes it where it's intended to go. So that's a fair ball. It's great. And uh, my heart goes out to the people of Port of Basque. It's just horrible and I can kind of relate a little bit. It's a bad experience when you you lose your home and everything you have. And I I, I encourage everybody to help every way they can. I wish I could be there to do that, but at least uh, like the money, money is what they need right now. And even people sending things like gift cards for uh, supermarkets or Home Depot or you know, Walmart, anything, uh, anything that gets money directly, that, that's, what, that's what they need right now is food, clothing, personal supplies, shelter. They don't need, they don't need a, a world scale project that money eventually will maybe somewhere, somewhere down the line get to them. Yeah, I think the town has actually established a, uh, a bank account at the local branch where people can make a direct donation and that would be distributed by the town. That's another option out there. So I have a bunch of this stuff on the tip of my tongue, but any suggestion and or to congratulate one group or another, we're happy to do it because people have mobilized very quickly here and are trying to get them the help. But you're right. Now with some of the very basic stuff, you know, bedding and razors and shaving shaving cream and food and bottled water baby formula diapers they're the kinds of things they need so let's get them in their hands as best we can thanks for all your help good to have you on thanks for the call take care bye-bye uh let's go line number three diane you're on the air uh good morning patty this is my first time calling welcome Uh, i'm calling from claremont area um, I want to send my condolences to the family that lost a loved one there and to her partner. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of people in Port of Bass. We've lived there for over 30 years, 
and I know a lot of people there, and it's so sad to see the devastation. And uh, I worked there in Port of Assault for quite a few years, and like I said, I got to know a lot, a lot of people there. So I just want to send my condolences to his family, and my love and prayers are with them at this time. Mine too, and uh, I'm glad you called, Diane. I read a story this morning where there was also a collection of people's recounting what Saturday was like for them and somebody saying, I could have been one of the people killed because I was this close to getting swept away. And the stories are just simply remarkable. And, of course, now that there has been a death, that will be the first consideration when people think about the next storm that might hit wherever it is, whether it be in this province or elsewhere, is that it's the really, really dangerous stuff. And, you know, I don't know if this is fair to say, but it could have been worse. Yeah, I know. I know. But... uh like everyone that they interviewed on the TV and the news lately, I've known everyone that they've interviewed. Yeah, so sad. It is so sad. Uh, the stories are going to be told for a while to come, and that's fine by yeah. me. And the recovery is going to be lengthy, but we're all going to play a role, hopefully, in trying to get them through it. Yes, that's right. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for Have the call, Diane. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, So, of course, with all the displaced folks, there's another notice coming from Rose Blanche. They are asking folks who own a seasonal property in Rose Blanche if you can use that property can be used to accommodate some of the displaced residents. That would be excellent. So if you're one of those folks, if you can call the town office, area code, of course, is 709-956-2540. Once again, 709-956-2540. Lots of seasonal properties in that part of the province. They absolutely could be used to try to house some of the volunteers and their displaced residents while we try to figure this out. Let's go to line number two. Mary, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm changing changing the topic of conversation here. I'm calling actually about my dog who's lost. Um, and uh, the reason I'm calling is because I think she may have been picked up by somebody uh, driving by. She was lost on Blackhead Road. You know the road that goes from like Shea Heights to Cape Spear? Um, my brother was taking her for a walk down the trail, Dead Man's Path, towards Freshwater. Bay, and she wandered back up the trail towards the car, and she was seen in the parking lot, and then somebody else reported that she was walking along the road there and may have been picked up by a woman who was driving by. And so we've been plastering social media, but I'm wondering if this woman might be somebody who is not on social media and has no idea how to reconnect this dog to her owners. So is this dog the little black terrier Misty? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's right. She's a little black terrier, about 22 pounds. Um, she's got a, l- a little bit of gray flex throughout her long, shaggy hair. She has a white patch on her chest. She's really friendly, very smart, has a tail that curls up. Um, she comes when she's called. She's uh, really a great dog, and um, I, th- you know, I think somebody picked her up thinking they were doing the right thing because it's a dangerous road there, and maybe doesn't know how to return her to us because the tag that she's wearing is um, out of date. It's a Toronto, uh, Toronto pet license because we were living there and we returned here some time ago. She did have my phone number, but that that tag got lost. So there's there's no obvious way to find her owner. 
um, uh, you know, other than uh, maybe bringing to the SPCA or Humane Services or uh, responding to all the messages that have gone out on social media. But I guess, um, I mean, I don't know if I should give my phone number over the air or how we should do this, but I'm the owner, and um, we really are hoping to get Misty back. She's been gone now for, this is, well, this is day day two, day three. It was Monday she went missing. Okay. So I'm, I assume you've, che- you've checked with those uh, services that you just mentioned, Humane Society and what have you, and obviously you yep. have, right? So yep. of course they've all got they've all got the the notice and the information, and so far it's just a mystery where she where she's gone. Um, y- you know, we've we've been back to search the area several times, I, and she she may be there, but I don't think she is because she's so smart. She comes when she's called. She would be unless she unless she got hurt. That's the other uh, possibility. Uh, and that she's injured uh, or worse, but I don't want to think about that yet. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm really hoping with this call that I, I'll reach the person who has Misty and that that person um, will be able to find me. Fingers crossed. I appreciate the update, Mary. So if you know of someone who picked up a little black terrier named Misty in the recent uh, past couple of days and don't know about Facebook and don't use it, we know who owns Misty. It's Mary, and we have her number. So if you call us or do you want to give your number out, Mary, what would you like to do? Um, uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, I'll give the number 647-707-0498. Um, and uh, if the person can't remember that number, just call VOCM hotline number and they'll connect you. <laughs> yeah. That we will. Thanks, Mary. Good luck. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, let's uh, have a look out here. So uh, today is also, what, the 50th fiftieth uh, anniversary of uh, Paul Henderson's Goldwyn Summit Series. That was 50 years ago today. Henderson has scored for Canada. Fantastic. All right, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with you. And it doesn't matter what the topic is. I'm going to continuously throw that out there this week in particular because I know the key, the key focus has been on Fiona and the aftermath left behind. But... Whatever you'd like to discuss, we can do it on this program. Don't go away. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Kimberly, you're on the air. Uh, Yes, Patty. Good day. I'd just like to call in and thank the entire province for what they're doing for us earlier on the West Coast. Uh, I'm a member of the Port of Bath Lions Club. Plus, my entire family has been affected and lost their own due to Fiona. And I can personally speak that with all the supplies that are coming into town, like my family, for one, were more than grateful to get some clothes and that to wear. They were left with nothing. Um, I have a disabled mother and father. My brother and his family and children, they all lost their own. My aunt, my uncle. Um, we're greatly appreciated to everything the province is doing for our community. Um, this is this kind of this is kind of heartbreaking. Um, I just want to put it out there to thank everybody. But our Port of Bath Lions Club do have supplies there for anybody. You have to just find the art. Like feel free to go and you know get whatever you need. And we do have a count set up if you would gladly take our uh, email address. And it's for the Fiona victims, and all money will be given directly to the family. 
because I I've heard no mention of our uh, email address on there. Well, let's hear it. Uh, it is Fiona P A B Lions Club at gmail dot com. And I do also want to thank, like, you know, our town officials and everything, because uh, I know when they evacuated all my family the night before, they did actually save their lives because they probably wouldn't be here today. And uh, send condolences to the family of the victim that lost her life in the storm. She was a well-known member of the community, and I'm sure something nobody will ever forget. Like, we lost everything, but, you know, that family lost so much more. And I just want to head out there and thank everybody. Well, I'm, I'm sure I can speak for most, if not all, by saying we're happy to help however we can because we all, I think we're all impacted. Like I've mentioned, I couldn't be further away from it. I live in the east end of St. John's, but I felt it in my stomach and in my heart and in my head on Saturday watching what happened. So, Kimberly, your house is gone, is it? Gone. Yes, well, I lived there myself for 40-odd years because, like, it's our family home. It's a split level. And uh, well, I just recently moved up to my cottage in Port of Bath. So my aunt uh, was living in my residence. And my disabled mother and father lived upstairs. And on the split level was my father's youngest brother. And just next door was um, my brother and his wife and two children. Their, their houses are completely gone. So my sister now is sheltering all of the rest of my family. So we're doing what we can to help them. But, you know, it's kind of hard, I guess, my mother sitting down there and being able to look out the window and see everything you work for all your life gone. And it's very distressful, right? I can't imagine. And so on that front, I'm sure the stress is just, well, I wouldn't be able to put myself in that position because it's just too much for me. But how are are people in the community even dealing with this? How are people coping with this? Are there any supports that people are reaching out and getting? Because it's one thing to get all these kind, generous donations, but it's the trauma of it all. It's the the mental beating that people have taken. So what are you seeing? What are you hearing? I can see the support that's coming from the people in our town, the phone calls, the messages. Like, it's quite overwhelming, to be honest. And uh, it's more than some people can handle sometimes. And I think this, the shock of it is still haven't lifted on many. And I can just speak for what my own family is going through. So I can only imagine what some others are going through. Because it's totally devastating. And I, I don't think it's something that's just going to disappear overnight. No, I don't imagine it will. You know, someone asked me, uh, this was in the form of an email, with do, do we really think that, you know, maybe donations or sending our positive vibes or telling folks that we see you, we understand, we want to help, if it really does make a difference on the ground where you live? So when you hear people talking about, you know, that we understand, we're, we share your worries and we share your, your grief with the life lost and the people who have lost everything, does it make a difference? Uh, yeah, it absolutely do make a difference. It makes them feel good knowing that people thinking about them and that, you know, everybody is there to help. And I've, I know, like, any situation, whatever, I, I help whatever I can. And uh, if the situation should ever occur anywhere else, I'm sure our team will come together and do the same for those communities. And it's something people don't forget. Um, I just think that everybody right at this moment is grateful. I know, like, when my aunt got out, she never even had so much as a pair of them. And, you know, some people don't have the financial means to just start over and go out and buy all these items. So I guess it means a lot to them to know that they are able to go and get it. 
Well, uh, again, people are wanting and willing to help, and we're glad it's making a, a positive difference on the ground. And Kimberly, beyond, beyond this conversation, for you and your family, whether you want to reach out privately or call the program again, give us an update or things that people will need, we're happy to spread the news because people have been quite quick to step up and to try to help. So stay in touch and let me know if I can do anything for you. I certainly will. You have a good day, Pat. The same to you, Kimberly. Good luck. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Well, you know, because it is kind of hard to understand, you know, what it does mean on the ground, because if you're sifting through the rubble, seeing if you can find some of these things that are of important sentimental value or just to salvage whatever you can, you know, the whole concept of thoughts and prayers and people will question whether or not that makes a difference on the ground. But I'd like to think it does. So we'll share information and hopefully that's helpful. We'll tell the stories and hopefully that gives people a better understanding of what's actually going on on the individual the personal level in port basque or rose blanche or harbor lacou or Burgio or wherever because there's so many communities that have felt the brunt of fiona so you know the stories are important and i think what you as listeners outside the southwest coast region of the province are doing is important and it is helping let's take a break when we come back ruby's in the queue she wants to talk about the coverage of the storm we'll see what she thinks about that right after this welcome back to the show caller to dave asked me to give out the email address that uh, kimberly lambert just shared of course Kimberly and her family lost everything. She's a member of the Lions Club, and the, they've set up an email account so that you can make a financial donation via email transfer to them. And, of course, as someone who's been impacted like Kimberly has, this money will make it to the folks who need it. The email address is, one more time, Fiona, P-A-B, so Fiona, P-A-B, Lions Club, at gmail.com. Fiona, P-A-B, Lions Club, at gmail. Dot com. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Ruby. You're on the air. Oh, good morning, Patty. Uh, how are you this morning? Couldn't be better. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Okay. I'm calling now uh, concerning the storm at Border Bass on Saturday morning. Uh, I, I was up most of the night checking the weather outside and everything. I got up early uh, Saturday morning. I turned on the TV. I got a little few tidbits from CBC News Network. But I'm calling this morning to thank VOCM because I'm so appreciative that to be able to turn on VOCM a Saturday morning and I had full coverage of what was happening in Port Bass. Because uh, Brian Lador and, and Greg Smith, that I listen to the show every Saturday morning, and also they were giving us updates from the mayor at Port Bass. And I just had to get in on the show. I was trying to get in this past couple of days, but I've been so busy. And just give a big thank you to VOCM because I'm um, one of the many uh, people that don't get on FaceTime. And uh, I appreciate the radio or even TV because as far as I'm concerned, we never got no coverage from CBC here in St. John's until... Uh, 5 o'clock Sunday afternoon when the lady that does the weather went out there. Yeah, Ashley Broadwater. I thought she did a good job. We wouldn't have got too much coverage. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, They step up. You know, it's a small staff that pumps out a lot of content. Oh, my goodness So good on them. Excellent. And then during the morning, we had Linda Swain come in again. Thankfully, we've got someone here in this province that can uh, help out the, the people here in this province. 
Well, I'm sure they all appreciate the kind word. It's important to... Uh, it's an important part of what we do here, like all the media outlets. I, I scanned oh around, goodness. and I will say that, uh, yes, I always think the, the, the staff here does an excellent job. But I, I'll offer uh, some of the same thoughts to other media outlets because it's not easy to do this. So I did peruse oh, different outlets. Goodness. I thought I Don understand. Bradshaw. Yeah, yeah I understand. But for, uh, for someone that's living here in the province and wanted to get... Uh, a word uh, from Portabas quickly. Uh, your station was excellent. Well, thank you very much for that, Roby. I'll pass it along to my st- my fellow VOCM members. Okay, thank you, Patty, and that's that's. And you have a good day. You too, Roby. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah, it's you know it's it might sound and look very fundamental to cover events like that, but I can tell you from past experience, it's not. It's really not that easy. So, yeah, good on the folks here at VOCM who did an excellent job on Saturday. But I will throw it around to some of the others because I did flip the dial around to see who was saying what and who was representing different media outlets. So I thought Ashley Brawlwater did an excellent job. I really do. I think Don Bradshaw, Ben Cleary, and others from NTV, they did an excellent professional job as well. So... Again, sometimes it feels like it's all just about the competition between the different media outlets, when it is that. I mean, that's part of it. You know, we're all clamoring for eyeballs and ears and the like. But I do understand that their jobs are difficult, and members of the media are under siege, and so be it. I can be under siege. I'm a big boy. I can take it. But uh, I just throw out those different uh, places and the work they did, and like we itemized on Monday in particular, uh, the local, regional press is just so important and needs to be preserved and the rec house press group they did great stuff and continue to do great stuff in sharing the information that people need to hear so i'll throw those kudos around as well and so someone's uh, asked me for uh, some websites and stuff for analyzing or evaluating what charities are the best ones to deal with and it's up to you right? i mean it's your money uh so uh, Jeff chimes in and says, VOCM's coverage was good, but CBC Radio was on Saturday morning. And I just said, I, I thought Ashley Broadwater did a great job. She was out there as early as Friday, sharing the images and the forecast and doing the, her level best. So, yeah, I don't detract from any of the other media outlets trying to perform their duties on a day like that. So fair enough. If they were on all day, I didn't know if, if they were on all day or not. So it's not for me to say someone's wrong because I, I didn't know they were wrong. And so be it. So, yeah, uh, so bravo to all involved. And I'm going to, again, say particularly to the crowd, very small, but obviously mighty group at Rec House Press. And they're they're actually helping me. I now simply started following them on Twitter. Some of the information that I'm getting that I'm relaying to you about specific needs and that kind of stuff, I'm getting it from them. I mean, because that's how the media world works, right? We all cover different stories in different ways, and different outlets will pick up on what the others are saying, the things they're covering. It's just nature of the beast. That's exactly how the media works. Because gone are the days. You know, here's what kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Is, you know, it used to be the f- person that got it first. That was all that counted. That was all that mattered. You know, so the, you get your headline uh, on the newspaper and get the young newspaper boy on the corner shouting out the headline and, you know, that was how it all worked. We've gotten a little bit away from that because first isn't as important as accurate. And that's this is not aimed at any one media outlet or reporter at all because I simply am not trying to do that. But, you know, the importance now, the immediacy with which the news is, is, uh, is broadcast. I mean, think about it. How long did it take to learn of different major historic world events 50 years ago? How, how different did it look 10 years ago? 
And think about what it looks like today. It's the blink of an eye where whatever happens in whatever corner of the world where they actually have access to a free independent press, in a blink of an eye, we're all informed right now. You know, just think about even some major milestone events like the passing of, queen, of the Queen. How long would it have taken for the entire world to uh, know that, you know, even compared to her father? That was 1952, right, where George died. So immediately we knew that she was under medical supervision. And the minute she took her final breath, the entire world knew at the exact same time. It's really truly remarkable when you stand back and think about it. Things happen so quickly, which I think also contributes to just how quick the news cycle does indeed change. Some stories that require days and weeks of, of evaluation and examination might not happen as frequently as it did in the past because the cycle is just so quick. You know, there's always the next big piece of breaking news. And, of course, politicians contribute to that with their want to impose themselves on the news of the day, whether it be with political spin or changing issues because it doesn't suit their agenda. So we all have to be very careful in picking up on the items that really deserve the amount of coverage and the in-depth nature of coverage that they deserve. So media does its best. As much as, look, as much as people love to hate the media... I suppose I get it, but we've got our, we find ourselves in a weird spot, and I'm not defending the media as a whole, we're just looking at it as, you know, I know I work in it, but I'll take this opportunity to try to look from the outside in. One of the most devastating things I think that has been to our collective, uh, it's been a problem for us collectively, is just the advent of how quick someone is to say that something is fake news, right, or it's bought and paid for media. So much of that is just so silly. It really, truly is. You know, if the coverage isn't, doesn't shine a bright light or a kind light of something that you're in favor of or a party or a politician that you support doesn't make it necessarily always immediately fake. It's just, it's just unrealistic to think that that's, that's accurate. And things like federal government money bought and paid for a conversation, to my knowledge, we don't get a nickel, do we, Dave? I don't think we're part of that government aid package that obviously hundreds of millions of dollars to, in particular, to try to spare groups like the Rec House Press. You know, that's the real focus of that money. So, you know, some of that larger commentary surrounding the media is kind of gets lost in the shuffle because now it's so quick. Is if you don't like what someone says or what someone wrote or what someone broadcasts on television or radio, that it makes it automatically fake because you don't like it. I think we've kind of, there's a bit of an absence of critical thought when it comes to how quick we are to dismiss something simply because you don't like it. So anyway, especially when, you know, the outlets that you may appreciate because they share your leanings, never question those, but those who don't cover it the way you do, that you like is automatically they're fake. We've got to kind of readjust our, our thoughts on that. And I'm one of the few in the media that thought that when the federal government and the prime minister announced all of those millions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars for media, I thought it was going to make a bad problem worse, and it did. It just did. I know that small independent media needs to be able to exist in this massive world. I mean, just think of all the advertising dollars hogged by the big ones, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. People were struggling. Small outlets were struggling. They're important to democracy. They're important to covering the smaller issues, so-called smaller issues, in the smaller communities around the country. But it was already a problem, and now it's worse. And is there any going back? Hard to say. Let's take a break for the newscast. When we come back, we'll be speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number one, Greg, you're on the air. 
Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Great. You? Not too bad. Uh, Patty, I got a question. Uh, I'm a diabetic, and I uh, yesterday I went and bought a drink. It's called a Big Gulp drink. Uh, it was a diet drink, and I was charged 18 cents for sugar tax. I was wondering if it's against the law, or how are they actually getting away with it? Well, it's another example of, I think, where some of these products are getting taxed. We were told a lot of things would be exempt. It turns out people are paying tax on them. I don't know if it constitutes against the law, but it's been a real mess, this rollout of the sugar tax in full. And you mentioned diabetics. You know, some diabetics rely on being able to get a sugary drink to, man- to, uh, to manage their own uh, symptoms. So how did that get factored in? Was it even considered? So there's a lot of different reasons why people still think this sugar tax is a bad idea. Uh, also, like, I buy a bag of sugar at the store for my wife. Uh, she likes drinking tea, coffee. Yep. That's, that's not taxed. Nope. <laughs> it isn't. that's the biggest of them all. Well, it's a bag of sugar. Uh, that's true. And also, there's a lot of things that are not yet taxed with their sugar content, like milk. We just saw a, a bump in the price of milk, but there's no sugar tax on it, but there's sugar in it. The cereal aisle, that's the one that always jumps out at me. We're talking about making healthy choices, especially for young people, and you know, cereal would be certainly really popular amongst the younger sect. They're not taxed either, so that begs the question, where does this end? Or is there any more sugar tax coming? I don't know, but there's a lot of these products that people are getting taxed on. We were told they're exempt, so they got to figure it out. Yeah, I don't. I don't think a lot of thought actually went into it. They, they were just money grabbing, and that was it. They wanted the money. This was a good way of getting it. Yeah, but they're not even doing anything new with it. That's a problem, I think, for some of the uh, certainly elected officials on the opposition side, is that they're. You know, we were told, okay, whatever revenues, and initially they were forecasting about $9 million additional r- monies coming to the government, it would fund new programs. Turns out that's not the case. You know, more money going to good groups, whether it be doing uh, some pediatric nutrition programs or Kids Eat Smart, these are all good things. Some of the money is going to fund that physical activity tax credit, so nothing new, which is also a bone of contention or frustration for folks. Yeah, I get it. And the one tax, like, I'll never forget this first time I read this. This woman who likes to buy the powdered iced tea so she can stretch it out and, you know, make it as powerful or as sweet as she wants it or not. The product costs $7.29 and the tax was $6.19. Like, oh, my God. Just about double in price. They won't be selling much of that. Yeah. And I can imagine some business getting hard, hard hit, especially like uh, Purity Syrup, another example. What a, what a tax went on, on a bottle of syrup was unreal. Yeah. Yeah. And so they said, you know, they don't think it'll have any impact on jobs and what have you. But if some products become really unattractive and sit on shelves forevermore, that has an impact somewhere down the line. True. True. Absolutely. Okay, thank you, Patty. Appreciate the time, Greg. Thanks for the call. Okay, bye. All righty, bye-bye. Yeah, you know... People were mocking some of the concerns that were shared by whether it be individual retailers or distributors or wholesalers. And, of course, the tax is intended to be applied at the wholesale level and not at the point of sale. But that's not necessarily what's happening either. So there was confusion at the 11th hour about who did the remittance, what was required. Some of the information people were getting was from a, a fairly thin government document and then turning to their, re, their wholesaler to find out exactly what's required, who's applying the tax, who does the remittance. So 
I don't think it's even ironed out at this point, which is pretty late in the day considering that it launched on, what was it? What was the date that it launched? The 1st of September, I think, if I remember correctly. So here we are, just about a month into it. And still a few hiccups in the system. Dave, will I take three here now? No? Oh, well, someone's on hold in the queue. So uh, anyway, there you go, the sugary tax drink issue. Uh, again, and I've made this point a few times, but... Government does admit that it's not going to change people's purchase habits in full because, of course, nothing does. You know, the sin taxes that were applied to uh, alcohol products and to tobacco products, what have you, it also came with huge different campaigns, not just about how much the, the cigarettes cost or that a bottle of liquor costs or a bottle of beer or whatever. It came with all sorts of campaigns, like, for instance, Talk Tobacco. They took away all the coloring on the packages. They put all the warnings on the packages. They hid the cigarettes behind the counter, behind closed doors. They disallowed the tobacco companies from doing the advertising that we saw in the past, like the De Maurier Open and Women's Golf Tournament. They weren't allowed to do all of these things. And so it came with a combination of efforts, not just, well, let's keep making it more expensive and consequently people will change their ways. Certainly price point has an impact. Of course it does. But if it's just done with that, and so the like, even the minimal effort on that front with the rethink your drink, did that really change how people view some of these products? You know, like even in the world of labeling, and I'll keep going back to that because I think it's important. If people realized, for instance, in one of these energy drinks, just how much sugar is in one can of energy drink, I think you would have a real different no amount of it being sold. Because I don't think people realize what's in some of these products. They taste good or they make you feel good or whatever it is people, whatever reason people buy them for. Some people just like it and it's as simple as that. But I don't think we really understand in full just what's in it. Uh, let's go to line one. Tom, you're on the air. I don't think we really understand in full. Yes, hello. Hi, Tom. You better turn down your radio. Yeah, I'm going to turn off the radio just a second now. Okay. Yeah, what I'm calling about is about my phone bill. Okay. I paid my bill for July month. And I, I got into this uh, with automatic withdrawal system. Okay. So when I got my August bill, I was charged July bill again. Have you called them back? With the August bill. Someone sent me uh, an example of a bill. I'll leave the company out of it because I think it probably happens more often than not. Where there was uh, all this. I, I'm not going to mention the name of any company, but uh, I phoned St. John's. Yep. And the person I got on the phone was so rude. I tried to tell her about, about what, uh, what happened and why I got charged twice for July month. I said, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to argue with you. You owe the money. You owe the money. And I said, listen there. I got the bills there. I'll be writing a letter in St. John's and sending my bills in. So why is a person so rude that she's in the wrong, wrong job as far as I'm concerned? Yeah, customer service has a certain required tone, doesn't it? I would go a step further and simply write a letter to the company because you might be fighting an uphill battle there. Every single time that we have an issue with telecommunication companies, uh, radio stations, television stations in this, in this country, you really, really should file a formal complaint with the, CT, uh, the CCTS, the Commission for Complaints for Telecom and Television Services. I would do it every single time. It's easy to find them. If you just Google up tele telecom, Complaints Canada, you'll go right, that'll be the first search that comes up at the top of the Google search. So I would do that and write the letter. Yeah. Well, I got my bills and, and, uh, and the bank stamps on it that is paid and everything else. So I, I, I got it ready to send it to John's room, see what happens. 
Yeah, uh, you, well, if you've got the proof that it's been paid, you'll probably be able to get this one rectified. Hopefully, the next person you speak to is a little less rude and a bit more understanding because no one wants to pay double. I, don't, I, I paid my bill, but I'm not going to pay from toys. That's for sure. I get, I get it. I wouldn't be either. But listen, do yourself a favor. There's only one July month on my calendar, not two. There's only one on mine. That's right. Yeah. Anyhow, thanks for taking my call. Anytime, Tom. All right. All the best. Bye-bye. Yeah, there was a, another example that it was just yesterday. Someone sent me an email with the itemized uh, telecom bill for their mobile phone that included all of these one-time app purchases that this person did not do, did not uh, give anyone permission to do on their behalf, and now they're fighting the good fight for things they had no control over. So sometimes... We don't pay enough attention to our bills. Now, it's easy enough to see a bill that's, okay, my, tele my mobile phone bill is generally 80 bucks. Now, this month, all of a sudden, it's 150. Why? And you figure it out. But sometimes the bills fluctuate just a little bit, and you might not give a nice close look to your bill, and consequently, maybe paying money that you don't owe for whatever type of service, especially if you get into that uh, automatic withdrawal from your bank account that you establish with your lender or with your bank. So, yeah, I guess we are going to pay close attention. But when it comes to a telecom complaint, you can fight with the company all you like, and hopefully you'll get the desired outcome. But file a formal complaint. It doesn't take long to do. It's actually really simple. I did it one time years ago. So just Google up Telecom Complaints Canada, and you'll be brought to the CCTS, the Commission for Complaints for Telecom and Television Services in the country, and you might have some success there. Let's take our final break of the morning. Don't go away. Welcome back. Okay, let's go to line number three. Say good morning to the Fund Development Coordinator with Planned Parenthood, sec uh, Planned Parenthood, Newfoundland and Labrador. That's Carrie Esparza. Carrie, you're on the air. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me in your program today. <laughs> Pleasure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we're hosting our our annual gala fundraiser this Saturday. So um, that's very exciting for us. What, what is included in the annual gala? What is it? Is it the fall yeah. masquerade? That's correct. So, um, as you know, our organization relies a lot in volunteers. We have over 100 volunteers right now, and uh, fundraiser events are very important for, for us and to offer all the programs that we, we do offer here in the province. And as you know, we are the only sexual health center here. Um, so our gala is going to happen this Saturday. It's going to be a fun event. Uh, there's going to be performances, a silent auction, prizes, canapes, and cash bar, and it's going to be a really fun night. Um, we're having comedian Sarah Walsh as our MC for the night as well, and we're actually closing our sales ticket tonight because we have almost sold out uh, for the event, which is amazing, so there's still time to get tickets for tonight on our Evan Bright um, website, uh, but the sale is going to end tonight at 11.59 p.m. I'm glad to hear ticket sales are going well because for these types of galas that so many organizations that I've worked with over the years, this has been the go-to. This has been the big yeah. one, and if it doesn't have success, then you're really scratching and clawing to make <laughs> ends meet and provide the program. So good on you for almost selling out. So it's at the Sheraton Hotel, I know that much, and the tickets yep. are 120 bucks. and for the, the type of entertainment and what you'll be given when you arrive that's probably a very good price and hopefully people can fill that out if you want to buy one of the remaining tables it's a thousand bucks 
That's correct. That's correct. We have one table left. Uh, so if you, um, if anybody a business also would like to sponsor our event with that uh, last table that we have left, please feel free. Uh, we offer a, um, an ad in our booklet and a table marker for any sponsors for tables. Um, and also, I mean, if you would like to, if people would like to support us, they can go into our Evan Bright. Um, account website and instead of buying a ticket because maybe you you can be able to come you can also donate uh to our event uh in our eventbrite account as well when people hear planned parenthood i think they think of the american offering all they think about is abortion but this planned parenthood <laughs> is actually newfoundland labrador sexual health center so that's correct i'm sorry go ahead um, yeah no i, I mean uh, yeah that's uh that's a thing that comes to mind and of course we offer referrals in counseling and options counseling for that uh, but we actually do not hold the funding to to provide abortions but we do provide anything related to support our sexual and reproductive health we have um, breast control at a very reasonable price and also with our uh, doctors in our clinics and um if we, if people want to come by and stop by for any fake sex supplies, they can do that as well. Uh, so yeah, that we're here for the public, and um, yeah, we're always in uh, receiving and open for everybody to come in. Yeah, because I mean, whether it be breast exams or some screening for STIs That's and correct. trans That's health correct. and Pap tests, and there's all sorts of uh, clinics for planning families and other things surrounding that and sexual health. I mean, it's an important outlet that I just wanted people to understand that it's more to it because I do think when people hear Planned Parenthood, their mind automatically simply goes to abortions and nothing else. But we're talking <laughs> sexual health. Sexual health is part yeah. of your overall health, so we need these kind of groups. That's correct. That's correct. And as you know, I mean, we are the only sexual health center in the province. So, um, yeah, like it would be great if we could be everywhere, right, in our province. But um, unfortunately, we're just here in St. John's, but we offer also telehealth services. So if you are out of St. John's, you can also book an appointment with us and um, have a conversation with us. And we can uh, figure out ways to we can also send prescriptions to your nearest pharmacy. So there's always a way to support everybody around the province. Yeah, and you're there six days a week, uh, shortened hours on mm -hmm. Saturdays, but and you need to make an appointment. There's no walk-ins anymore at the Sexual Health Center, so consider that. For and please, Saturdays, yes. For uh, Saturdays, you, you can come in. Oh, yes. okay, I didn't know that. Yes, yeah. For Saturdays, you can come in, drop, off, drop in in person, and that's good. We're actually uh, open for volunteer applications, so if people like to volunteer with us, our applications are open now uh, for our warm line and for the center as well. Terrific. Good luck with the event on Saturday night. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. Thanks. You're welcome. That's Carrie Esparza, the Fund Development Coordinator with Planned Parenthood. Newfoundland and Labrador. Last one very likely goes to line number one. Rosie, you're on the air. Yes, hi. You know the hi. cell phones, right? I'm paying for something not to come on my phone accidentally, right? But you keep on charging me, but I try to get in touch with them, but I can't do it. So uh, do you know a number for Bill that I can get in touch with them? Uh, I can probably a give person, you a number. A person. <clears throat> yeah. a person that I could talk to. I'm sorry about it. In. That's okay. Uh, Bell Telecom Customer Service. I, I mean, this is always a uh, shot in the dark anyway because it's hard enough to get to speak with someone directly. But I like, for instance, I can give you a number to the Bell Alliance store here in the city okay. versus go through customer service if you like. Oh, right on. I'll give yes, you a couple. Here you go. You, wanna, you got a pen? Perfect. 
I said that would be purple. I said that would be perfect. Thank you. No okay, problem. I got a pen now. Local seven two two. Seven two two. Three seven four eight. Three seven four eight. Oh, that's excellent. That there, right? And you know what? what? Um, well, now let me see. Um, okay. Uh, did you ever have this problem problem with your phone? Okay. Uh, I pressed like two numbers on my phone, uh-huh. and there's about ten comes on. No, I and have not like experienced that. that. No? no. Okay, that's the trouble I have with my phone. But you know what? If this keeps up, I think I'm going to just cancel my phone. Because or they keep on putting charges on my. Oh, I'm sorry, I butted in again. Uh, yeah, they, be, they keep on putting charges on my phone, and I got all my bills saying that I I paid, and I pay for something that not to be on my phone, but they keep on uh, charging. And I think maybe month by month they would notice the mistake, maybe. You would hope. I would. I would notice a mistake first time. Yeah, so sure. I'll just call that number there. Okay. Yeah, and thank you so much. You help so many people. Thank you. You're welcome. Take good care. Okay, you too. All Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, dealing with the telecom companies, it's a handful. I mean, what I choose to do, like even when I have a problem with my bill or my phone, I go right to the kiosk or I go right to, for instance, I, I, I deal with Telus. So I just go right to the shop. I've been dealing with them for, well, I guess, 20 years now. And sometimes it's a little bit easier trying to navigate the phone system. If you're calling about your bills, press one. If you're calling about your phone, press, oh, it just gets a little bit tired, right? So anyway, I just go and speak to someone directly because I think we get a little bit more satisfaction when we try that, there's a buddy telling me that if you need bell uh, help on your phone, on your cell phone, you just call 611 and you get customer service. I didn't know that either. But, of course, I'm not a Bell customer, so how would I know? Anyway, so uh, Rod is talking about I did recommend that with telecom complaints to file a formal one. I did it. I had great success with it. That's why I continue to recommend it. So this particular uh, fellow says that he's he got the decision in his favor eventually. Didn't know if there was any discipline to the provider ever followed through with but at the CT- CCTS. And I don't know either. And I don't know how publicly they document those things. But when you deal with the regulator... You are asking for trouble if you are running afoul of the clearly understood rules in the telecom world. And they've made some good decisions at the CRTC and the CCTS. All right, we're out of time. Good show today. Big thanks to everyone who supports the program. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, David Williams, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.